0: Hey friends, it's Mark James, and today is Thursday, the 2nd of March. Don't ask. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, where have you been? Mark, where have you been? I've been all over the place. It occurs to me that the last time I did a podcast was the 15th of February. So it was two weeks and one day ago, two weeks yesterday since I last published a podcast, I'll be honest and say I was going to publish one yesterday, but I didn't get round to it. Uh, Sarah was off. She's off today as well. We had a smart meter fitted, or at least I should say we had the rest of the smart meter fitted, because we're getting two. I'll come back to it in a sec. Let's not get bogged down with that yet. I've got a list. It's got things on to talk about. I think today is going to be a good, illuminating, honest, at times... um, There are things that I'm not sure if I want to talk about, but I'm going to talk about them. And uh, I guess we'll get into it, won't we, as we go along. I'm sitting here in the yellow chair in the bedroom. I've tidied the bedroom before recording, obviously. Alexa, turn off the main lamp. That's better. Alexa, turn off the bedroom lights. Sorry if you have that device and me saying that has just caused you problems just realized I've got the nice sort of LED pink bulb on. The one that, it's one of those ones that, uh, it's an Edison bulb, but written in the bulb is the word love. But it's kind of diffused for me because it's inside of a, um, you know, those kind of modular shelves that you get from Ikea where it's a unit, but it's got sort of six or eight portholes in it. Well, this is one of the upstanding ones that's got four holes in it, one on top of the other, that you could put one of those sort of boxes in that everybody has you know, the material boxes that usually have a zip on the bottom and when you unzip it, it folds flat. One of those. Anyway, the bulb is in the top of one of those in a lamp and um, it's casting a nice light on the bedroom and I don't need all the main lights on. Right now, nobody's in the living room. For the first time ever, I've turned the living room lights off while nobody's in there. I am turning off lights in rooms where nobody is like a maniac now because of the smart meter but again i will get back to that in a bit because there are more things to talk about so i'm sitting in the yellow chair i've got the light set nicely as much light as i need i have got two drinks one of them is a cup of tea in the ryman auditorium giant mug that's going to be relevant soon and the other one is a woodford reserve whiskey it's a bourbon Bourbon. How do you say it? Bourbon. I think I would typically say bourbon. It's a bourbon whiskey and it's in with a Pepsi. So I've got a Pepsi and a thing. I also have an empty plate that had two homemade cookies. I say cookies. They're a bit more like whoopie pies. You know what a whoopie pie is? It's like a fat cookie with an inflated middle and it's typically filled with chocolate. Well, Sarah worked out how to make cookie dough at home and then cook them in the air fryer, and it makes these incredible, soft, gooey, chocolate-filled sort of um, just delicious cookies. They're amazing, but like I said, a bit more like a whoopie pie, if you know what that is. And uh, I've had about 12 of them today, so that's going well. Anyway, gigs start again tomorrow, so we're going to talk about that as well. So let me open the list and let's get into this shit. What's been going on? Okay, the first thing on the list is to talk about cocooning before becoming a butterfly. (laughs) Before becoming a butterfly. I don't know that I can ever become a butterfly, but I do know that I've been cocooning. Let me explain. I looked at my diary, and by the way, this is going to sound like covering old ground, and it only won't sound like covering old ground or like moving forward when I actually move forward. The problem with the way my diary's been recently is that in the past sort of four months, I've had a few single event occasions that I've wanted to be healthier for. And of course, I know the drill, I know the path, I've walked it many times before. There is no point in trying to be healthy for a single event. You should try and be healthy for your whole life because being healthy, having things that you wanna wear, Being in good mindset means that you're basically prepared for anything, even if it drops on you at the last minute. But the problem with preparing for single events is diminished expectations. Because say you're preparing for your friend's wedding and it's a month away. You think to yourself, God, a month? I could achieve so much in a month. Think about how much weight I could lose, how much moisturizer I could put on, how many walks I could go on, how healthier I could be. I'm going to be really good. And then after one week when you haven't started, because it still doesn't feel that urgent, there's three weeks to go. I've got a little bit of a cough throat thing here because of the whoopie pie cookies. The whoopies, the wookies. Oh, my God, I've eaten wookies. (laughs) Anyway, um, you realise that it still ages away and you haven't done anything yet, but that's okay. And then because you just wasted a week it's quite easy to waste a second week. Then you realise you've only got half as much time as you had in the beginning and you immediately don't feel like it's possible to really achieve anything because against the backdrop of being able to achieve what you'd originally set out to, you realise that it will only be possible for you to achieve half. And so you think, well you know what, I can probably do that much in just a week, so I'll save it a week. And then with a week to go, you think, oh, fuck it, I'll just wear that dress that I always wear, or I'll wear that suit that I always wear, or whatever. And you just end up completely bollocksing things up and getting no closer to your goal. I've done it before, I've done it a hundred times. So my diary over the last few months, as you guys know, was that I did a cruise at Christmas and I wanted to feel healthy for that, and I wasn't. And then I had the session, which was the magic convention in London and I wanted to feel healthy for that and I wasn't but on reflection looking at the pictures it wasn't as bad as I thought it was but it wasn't great and then we had a sort of uh, a holiday week did we go away we didn't go away on holiday did we no I marked it out as a holiday in my diary for some reason but we didn't have a holiday did we did we did we went away we go to Center Parks. We did. We went to Center Parks. That's right. So in that time, that week, we went to Center Parks on holiday. And uh, of course, I ate loads of stuff and didn't do anything really healthy. And then I wanted to be healthy for um, Magi Fest in Ohio. And I wasn't. <laughs> and things there were really tough. My first two days there, I basically fasted apart from eating Reese's Pieces until I did my shows and then I ate like total shit. The last like 36 hours that I was in Ohio, I ate every single thing that I came across. There was nothing available to eat that I didn't eat at least two of. And then I had a cruise at the beginning of February, but again with a week off in between. I wanted to be healthy for that and I wasn't, but I was healthy on the ship. Yes, the food was not so good that I couldn't go without. I ran every day. I smashed five runs in a row. I started off good, healthy habits. I didn't eat crazy. I felt amazing. I was going to run as soon as I got back. I didn't run. So the last run I did was the 11th of February. It's now the 2nd of March. So I haven't run for coming up on three weeks. It'll be three weeks on Saturday since I last ran. So that's not great either. So I wasn't healthy. And then I've got gigs starting this week. I did some training for Away Resorts, which I'll come back to on Monday. I taught the training. I wanted to be healthy for that, but I didn't have to wear a suit or anything. I could just wear a hoodie and jeans. So I just stayed stayed fat, (laughs) didn't really care. And then I got gigs this weekend, and then I've got a week off, and then I've got a week of gigs, and then I've got a midweek off, then I've got a weekend of gigs, and then I've basically got a midweek of gigs every week, for like two months so sometimes when i get a gig and i get a bit healthy but then i basically fuck everything up in the midweek when i'm not gigging so at the moment the situation is that tomorrow i've got a gig at lakeland then i've got one on saturday back at lakeland and then i'm off sunday monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday and then on saturday i make my west end debut which i'll come back to So essentially, if I start fasting and stuff tomorrow and being good, I've got eight days to make quite a lot of difference to myself. And I can go and get my waistcoat just altered a little bit because it's a little bit too big, actually. He put a new back on it, but I think he's left a bit too much room in and I could do with it just taking in a tiny bit. So um, I've got that on Saturday. And then I should just keep being healthy. If I can be healthy for a week now until the West End thing, then I've got gigs all the time after that. And then Sarah and I are going to Benidorm as well, which I'll come back to in a sec. So there's a lot of stuff to kind of work towards. But the reason I call it cocooning is that but before butterflies become butterflies, they go into a cocoon, a chrysalis. That is undoubtedly their ugliest phase. Because a caterpillar... Is okay, isn't it? A caterpillar is all right. I was a caterpillar before two two months ago. I was a caterpillar, a caterpillar, <laughs> a caterpillar, a, a shit. Um. Oh, anyway, I was a, caterp- a caterpillar, and caterpillars are not great. <laughs> I've never fancied one of you. I've seen a lot, but I've never thought you're all right. I've never asked a caterpillar for their number. What are you up to on Saturday? get your coat, put your 400 pairs of shoes on, we're going out for a drink. Never, they're not great are they? But the cocoon phase is disgusting, it's gross. And that's the caterpillar kind of just shutting up shop. It knows that change is about to happen. And so the caterpillar, you know the phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn. Things get so much worse before they get better that it's almost necessary. And I feel like this last week has been my cocoon phase. I basically haven't left the house at all. I stayed in every single day since Monday, apart from when I had to go and do that training. I sort of did that last week a bit as well. So maybe the last two weeks, I never went out of the house. I have probably only been out of the house three times in two weeks. If I Not in the car. I've driven to get Sarah from work most days and done little bits and bobs, but I've never walked anywhere. I've done no walking at all. If I was wearing a step counter, you would think it was broken. I've done nothing, but I think I've been cocooning and tomorrow I'm going to begin. I'm going to put one fist through the outer wall of the cocoon, the chrysalis, and I'm going to poke my little head out, my antennas, and I'm going to see what things look like. So that'll be the first gig back. And the first gig back will make me hate myself and I'll realise that things have got to change. But I won't have a second day to ruminate on it because I'll be gigging again the next night. So I'll stick with it. And then once I've done two days, it's easier than you'd think. So if I can fast Friday, Saturday, Sunday I can eat, Monday I start the normal fasting schedule. That'll be the plan right now in my head. That's the plan. That's what I'm feeling right now. And the plan is going to be a brutal return to the original golden rules. So let's expand on... Mm. I feel like I need to open the music thing just so that I can get some sort of... um... I never add any production value to this, do I? I just sit down and I talk shit. But for you guys, I'm going to just get some production value. Hold on one sec. I'm looking for some sort of... um... Mm. Some sort of music that will just cover the moment that I'm looking for. Okay, the 10 golden rules. Ah, oh. That's probably not what I was looking for. <laughs> I hope that doesn't get the podcast taken down. I bet putting that music in gets the podcast bollocked. Um I'm still looking. Hold on. Mm. If I were a magician. Oh, that was a great tune. I used to practice a... Uh, card manipulation routine at that once upon a time um i don't know that i'm gonna find what i'm looking for here and i always imagine when i'm thinking about this i always imagine sarah listening and going oh god just get on with it for fuck's sake i hope you can hear those noises okay the 10 golden rules the 10 golden rules are That was a bit of an anticlimax, wasn't it? But anyway, oh, here we go. This is better. Drum roll. This just isn't working at all. <coughs> right, I'll never do sound effects on the podcast again. You have my word. I'll do, I'll get the ukulele out or the guitar and sing songs from the musicals again before I go back to using sound effects. So the 10 golden rules used to be two and a half liters of water per day, number one. Eight hours of sleep each night, number two. Exercise every day, number three. Moisturize your skin, your face typically, number four. Read for one hour every single day, number five. Meditate for 10 minutes, number six. Drink black coffee, one cup and one cup of red tea per day, number seven. Alternate day fast, number eight. Learn new things, number nine. And no sugar at all, number ten. Actually, mm, the no sugar one was probably the most helpful because I eat loads of chocolate. I've probably had about 30 Easter eggs in the last few weeks. I've had an Easter egg, at least one Easter egg every single day since a week on Monday gone. So that's not good, is it? So... Water is obviously necessary just to survive, but drinking more of it stops you drinking other shit. So no fizzy drinks or anything like that. I do occasionally allow myself a a can of um, Monster without sugar in it, the zero sugar one when going to gigs and back, but that can be expensive and I need to stop wasting money. So two and a half liters of water per day. We'll have to get the water filter back in the fridge, the big Brita filter that we fill in the sink and filters water perfectly. We'll have to get that back into the fridge so I can drink loads of water. Eight hours sleep a night. That's pretty much a non-negotiable, you know, and that means that I have to go to bed by 11 p.m. every night that I'm not gigging. On days that I'm gigging, then I'm allowed to have a bit of a lie in, but on days when I'm not, It's 11pm I'll be honest and say When I am doing shows That one's hard to stick to No matter what I'm doing Because if every night I've been up Getting home late Driving Because I've got gigs On the nights when you are home You do sort of want to stay in a bit And stay up a bit And have a bit of a later night But then if I'm off all day I've got loads of time to chill And do what I want And Sarah wants to go to bed by 11 anyway So it shouldn't really make A massive amount of difference So Try and get an 11 o'clock bedtime in That is pretty good. And actually, if Sarah and I went to bed at 10 and watched telly for an hour, um, number one, we'd both be in bed for an hour earlier, and that does make going to sleep at 11 a lot easier. And if we were already in bed, I'd have a lot more chance of giving Sarah, especially if I'm feeling good and healthy, and we've both been eating healthy and not eating shit and curries and things that don't make you feel like you've got a great stomach, I might have a bit more chance if I just, you know, give her a bit of a longing look and a little cheeky wink and maybe put my index finger through my finger and thumb on the other hand a couple of times. (laughs) I might just have a chance that she'll get what I mean and, you know, give me the wink back. So you never know. So getting into bed earlier, reading for an hour is a, a big one. Obviously, that's just so good for mindset, just feeling good. And also, while I'm doing this challenge, I've fallen behind a little bit because I haven't really read anything this week. And I've posted a book for last week, so I'm I'm on time. You know, for the amount of weeks into the year that we are, I've read enough books to stay on, on track. But I'm going to have to read something sharpish if I'm going to have a book finished this week, because I've really fallen off with that. So um, the reading for one hour, that'll certainly help. Um, exercising every day, I mean, that's just obvious, isn't it? Exercise, just healthy mindset. Makes you not want to eat shit because you feel like you've worked for something and you don't want to undo it and um it just makes you feel good it just gets everything going it's definitely running has definitely been a winner for me and i should probably go get back on the peloton a bit because that was great as well obviously i got addicted to the peloton i went through a period where i hated it but i should probably alternate running and pelotoning and get some good cardiovascular workouts in via that so that'll have to come back exercise moisturizing I'm quite lucky that I've always had pretty good skin, certainly on my face. I do get a bit of a spotty back when I eat a lot of shit, but I've always had a pretty good facial skin, but it would be nice to just moisturise and look after that for the long term. That's the trick, isn't it? You have to look after your skin for the long term, not just for now. I mean, I'm only 37. It's, you know, when you're in your 50s, you've got to think about, did you look after your skin? So there's that. Meditating, I was a bit un... I was a bit nonplussed by last time, wasn't I? But... Maybe it helps. Maybe it was good. I did like the ritual of lying down and listening to a meditation. I used the ones on the Peloton app, so maybe I should combine those two things. If I'm going to get Peloton back, the, the subscription, I've still got the bike, then maybe I should um, do some of the meditations as well. Black coffee and red tea. I mean, black coffee is just good for your metabolism. Makes you have a shit in the morning. Red tea apparently helps block the formation of new fat cells. So that's good. All in the day fasting. We don't need to talk about that again. You all know what it is. You all know how it works, why it works and why I like it. Learn new things. That means picking up and sticking to Duolingo again. And I should really dig in to doing Spanish again. Joshua's doing French and learning guitar. But we're going to Spain again in a few weeks and I'd love to brush up on my Spanish for that uh, because we're meeting a Spanish friend of mine. So I'll come back to that in a sec. And last but not least, no sugar. That means that if I do no sugar, I will not be eating chocolate and that will really, really, really help with my goals. So that's kind of that's cocooning and bringing back the golden rules. That's one thing on a list of 12. So let's get through the rest. Number two thing I wanted to talk to you about is that the school announcement came this week. Mm. Are we all going to be healthy together? Are we all going to start this week? Do you fancy doing it with me? Should we all pick some goals? Do you want to all follow those 10 rules? What do you think? Could you do it? So, um yeah, the school's announcement came basically on Wednesday of this week. Every single uh, county, I believe, in the country, but certainly Lancashire, where we live, every single... And it is Lancashire, not Lancashire, as Americans often say. And I'm going to help all of you American and Canadian friends out when you talk about Edinburgh. It is Edinburgh. Like when you say brah. Brah, what's happening, brah? It's Edinburgh. People say Edinburgh. But borough would be, or borough, would be B-O-R-O-U-G-H. But brough, it's Scottish, and it's B-U-R-G-H. And it's pronounced brough. So, Edinburgh. Don't be afraid to say it properly. I, when I hear Americans, hey, have you ever been to the Edinburgh Festival? No, I haven't. <laughs> but I've been to the Edinburgh Festival. So, yeah, it's Edinburgh. Uh, you, you're welcome. I have loads of American friends that say it properly. I'll bet Bart says it properly because he knows about these things. I'll bet Bart says it pro, And I bet Bill. Bill's Canadian, not American. Bart's from New York and Bill's from Canada. But I bet they both say it properly. But other American friends and people who message me less frequently, I'll bet you say Burrow, Edinburgh, but it's bruh Anyway, so the schools made their announcement about whether or not your kid got into the school you wanted. Basically, six months ago, you had to choose what schools you wanted your kid to go to. And we only picked one because there is a school next door to the school that Joshua goes to right now, his primary school. And for those who don't know, the schooling system in the UK is that you go to primary school from four years old until 11 years old. And then you go to secondary school from 11 years old until 16 years old. And then you can, if you elect to, go to college from 16 until 18. And then if you so further wish, you can go to university from 18 until however long your course takes. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four years. And that's a whole different system again. Sometimes it's even longer if you do a postgraduate and all that sort of stuff. But you that's how the schooling system works, certainly in England anyway. Possibly it's a little bit different in parts of Scotland and Wales, but that's how it works in England. So Joshua finishes primary school this year in uh, July, and then they have August, the end of July, the whole of August and the very beginning of September off for six weeks. And then they start secondary school. And we wanted him to go to the one that is next door to his primary school for loads of reasons. The obvious one being the journey, the walk is the same. The second reason being that quite a lot of his friends are going there who are in his class already. The third one being it is not a religious secondary school and a lot of the ones around us are. The fourth one being that it is a mixed gender school. A lot of the schools are single gender the one that we walk past every day, there's an all-girls school. And then if you walk past Joshua's uh, Joshua school, yeah, there's an all-boys school. And we didn't want him to go to either of those. I very nearly went to an all-boys school, but didn't. And I'm glad of that. And Sarah went to a mixed school as well. So I'd rather he went to a mixed, non-religious school that is next to where the one he already goes to is. And for all those reasons, we only put one option. But there's always a chance you wouldn't get it. But we were thrilled to find out that... He did get it. So that is very good. I know I've often contemplated my thoughts on the transgender issue that's exploding right now around the world. What happens if you are in a single gender school? What happens if you are in an all-girls school and then you suddenly make it known to everyone that you identify as male? Do you have to leave that school? What's the mechanism by which you do leave that school? Would people keep it quiet because they didn't want to leave that school and have to go to a mixed or all-boys school? And vice versa, if you were in an all-boys school and you suddenly identify as female, do you have to leave there? Or what if you identify... It's very... It's interesting, that, isn't it? I wonder what happens in those cases if if changes are made. I'm sure that there's a whole process of... Um, collaborative conversation between the student the parents and the teacher teachers but I wonder what happens there it's quite interesting um I tell you what Sam Smith obviously now I've identifies as they we can say a lot about Sam Smith but the main one surely has to be that they are not a very fashionable dresser Sam Smith's clothing is horrific They wear some of the worst outfits I've ever seen, like Madonna on crack. It's awful. I've never seen such abysmal clothes. They look like sort of, um, you know when you see those pictures of people walking around Walmart in America and they have just like, they're 40, they're like 400 pounds, but they have skinny jeans on and a thong up their back. And they're usually wearing a see-through string vest and a bra with a mullet and a cap and (laughs) all of that stuff. Well, Sam Smith, that's how they dress. It's insane. One of the worst dresses I've ever seen. Putting Sam Smith's gender aside, the way that they dress is horrendous. And so, yeah. And actually, I I feel like I... I I've gotten used to it now, so I'm using they very easily when I refer to people that um, identify as they. But I heard this week that Noel Gallagher was in trouble for misgendering Sam Smith. And I wonder, maybe Noel Gallagher doesn't know. Maybe Noel Gallagher knows and purposefully misgendered someone. Maybe Noel Gallagher doesn't give two fucks about it. But also, is Noel Gallagher... Maybe he doesn't know. Like, I've heard loads of times where Noel Gallagher has not known about something that you think it must be obvious that everybody knows. But celebrities very much exist in their own sphere and probably don't concern themselves with, let's be honest, what are fairly small personal issues. I mean, if Sam Smith now identifies as they, which I believe, of course, they do, it's really not that big of a deal Nor is it really anyone's business or, in the grand scheme of things, does it make any difference to anything at all, ever, to anybody. It's only an issue and a talking point because Sam Smith is very, very famous. And so it kind of has been taken on as an issue by people, but it really isn't. What difference does it make? I've said this before on here, but I often wonder with jobs and stuff, I don't really know why gender is on the form it shouldn't really, unless, unless there are jobs where it does make a difference. I can't think of many ordinary jobs where it does make a difference. So why are we even asking? Just ask people for their name. It's weird, isn't it? I don't know. So, that's that. But the schools thing was good news for us. But that did get me onto a little tangent where I wonder about that thing. Okay, next up on the list is the gas and electric meter. So ages ago, we tried to get smart meters fitted so you no longer have to submit gas and electric readings. They just get sent automatically. And the guy came and he fitted one, but he didn't fit the other because they weren't responding at head office. They'd had a problem getting it to link or something. So we had to wait months. And then another person came and he fitted the other one and now they're both working together and we've been given an in-home screen display and essentially the screen displays to you all of the information you could want to know about your gas and electric usage. I'm just gonna have another sip of this drink. Mm. And what it tells me right now is that used so far today have been 65 kilowatts per hour or 65 kilowatt hours. That must be more correct um and that my current electric usage is 19 pence per hour 19 pence per hour is like 22 cents or something um i've used five pounds and 24 pence of gas today which is actually pretty good i think um totaled gas and electric use today 12 pound 40. Now, you don't really want that to get much further above that, do you? Obviously, the rates are through the roof at the moment. But if you use £20 per day combined, then you're going to be in a situation where you're using £600 per month, which is what we did do last month. Our bill was £600, I think I told you, and it was shocking. However, we have all been home today today was not well. He's got a blistering cough. It's unbelievable. And he's really just coughed all night, so we kept him off school. Also, today at school was swimming, and then it's World Book Day, but for some reason, his school decided to make a pyjama day. So him having a brutal cough and a bit of a cold, we didn't think swimming and then spending the day in his pyjamas <laughs> was going to be a great idea. So he spent the day in his pyjamas, but at home. So you'd have to assume that our usage here is a little bit elevated due to the fact that we've all been at home. Tomorrow, I'll be out doing jobs most of the day. Sarah will be at work, Joshua will be at school. The dog doesn't use any gas and electric as far as I'm aware. So we should be able to keep our usage down more tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see what it is on different days and see the sort of trends as it goes along. Um, But it really is like a bit of a joy meter. I mean, seeing the money just ticking away on this little screen is, oh gosh, it's very depressing. Makes you not want to turn anything on, but also it's handy because it has made me aware of power usage and gas and electric usage within the house. And so I turned off the living room lights before I came upstairs, and I've left the living room in complete darkness with no TV on, no lights, no anything because nobody's in there but normally up until yesterday i would have absolutely come upstairs recorded this podcast and left those lights and tv on and when i went back downstairs to sit in that room i'd have no doubt left the lights on in this room because that's what we do we always have all the lights on all the time in every room so that when you walk around the house the place you want to be in is already lit but now that is going to stop we're going to be much better because the gas and electric meter so that's good uh, then we move on to booking exciting new shows. And a lot of exciting stuff has happened. To be fair, I've had a few days of kind of just cracking on and getting stuff done, lacking. Number one, I can't tell you the dates for this specific one because I've been sworn to not do that. But um, I just spilled a little bit of tea. Let me have my last sip. Mm. While it's still borderline excusably warm, and now I'm moving swiftly straight into my whiskey and Pepsi. Mm. That's the sound of an ambulance going past my house. So um, I've booked, I've penciled, heavy penciled, two weeks this year at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles, which is, of course, tremendously exciting. It's my favourite gig in the whole world. It's my favourite week ever. It's just spectacular it's the best thing ever to be at the magic castle there is truly no finer place it's the best venue in the whole world for the performance of magic the audiences love to be there and spend forever trying to get on the list to get in there it is incredible i've booked and i have to say penciled but i've penciled heavy pencil two weeks this year to go back there and we can't wait and I, But I can't tell you when they are. <laughs> because other performers might listen and it will trigger all sorts of um, bad things because people, the Magic Castle are very cautious in the way that they book these days. And if people find out that you've got dates for certain months, but they haven't booked dates yet, they've been put on hold for dates that are closer than then or whatever, it causes all sorts of raucous, ruckus, ruptures, ructions, ruptures. Hmm. I don't know. It's not good, basically. So, But because of the international travel situation and the way that my diary is filled up, I've asked for dates at two split points. And um, I've been given pretty strong pencils on both. So I can't really talk about it anymore, but that's what's happening there. I've also confirmed to perform at the Chicago Magic Lounge again, which I loved last time. I loved the gig. And... Sarah and I didn't have the best time last time. I've talked about this quite a few times on the podcast before. We went to Chicago before when we were in a bit of a down spot between us. You know, I'd just come off the back of a long gig away. We kind of had drifted a little bit. We failed to re-find a connection. We were arguing with each other about shitty stuff. And you know what it's like in a high-pressure situation where I was really up against it because I was doing another Penguin Live and different gigs and just so many different things were happening in a two-week space that it basically caused us to not have a great time because I didn't even realize I was being a dick, but I was being a complete dick. I know that now looking back. And because of that, it kind of soured Chicago for Sarah, but actually Chicago is a great city. That venue is a great gig. And I think that there's a great time to be had there if we go back like we are now. You know, actually, it's funny to say that because we've been bickering for no reason the last couple of days. I've probably been being a dick again and not really realised, but I've been very argumentative. (laughs) It's probably because I've been stressing out, trying to book as many things as I've been trying to book. I've had real few days of like waiting till the middle of the night to make phone calls and stuff to speak to people on the other side of the world. So it's been a bit stressful, but it's all coming up roses now. So... That's going to be brilliant. The other change there is that we've absolutely 100% decided that we're taking Joshua with us. Joshua is coming to America for the first time and going to Chicago, which is going to be fantastic. So that's in November, the 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th of November, I will headline the main room at the Chicago Magic Lounge. Sarah will be with me and so will Joshua. And if there's a family show to be had, I'm going to ask if I can book that too and Then I'll be able to take Joshua and stuff in. I don't know if they do do a family show. But if they do, I'm going to see what I can do about that too. But anyway, so that's uh, Chicago Magic Lounge. I've rebooked Nashville. The House of Cards, which is, again, another one of my favourite gigs. Sarah absolutely loved Nashville, and so did I. And I've booked that for February. February, the uh, whatever Valentine's week is, whatever the Monday is. I've got my calendar in front of me. I can bloody look, can't I? Let me click through a few months. Um... Okay, February 12th through to the 18th of February, I'm going to be at the House of Cards, Nashville. There's a great sign in Nashville that says Nashville looks good on you. And there's just loads of nice areas. There's an area, I want to say it's called the Gooch, but also the Gooch is the area between your balls and your butthole. So is it called the Gooch? (laughs) (laughs) It's a place that I remember everyone going, oh, Taylor Swift likes to hang out there. There's two, like, wings painted on the wall and you can stand in front of them and get your picture taken. I feel like it can't be called the Gooch. I'm going to have to Google this now. If it is called the Gooch, that's funny. The Gooch. Nashville. Uh, Oh, okay. So it is called, but it's pronounced Gulch. It's it's written G-U-L-C-H. Why is it called the Gulch? An urban mixed-use neighbourhood. Right, I'm going to just put how to pronounce the Gulch. Oh, there's a thing to play it. Hold on a sec. Gulch. Oh, it is saying Gulch. Gulch. The Gulch. Someone told me it was called the Gooch. (laughs) Definitely not. Well, now you know that the Gooch is the area between the butthole and the um the balls. I think in America, they call it the taint because it it taint the butthole and it, it taint the balls. It's called the taint. Anyway, so I've booked Nashville again for Valentine's week. <laughs> nice bit of romantic conversation there, wasn't it? Uh, I can't wait to go there because Sarah and I always have a brilliant time there. It'll be the perfect way to spend Valentine's week. And I'm gonna work my ass off because you do five shows a night there, seven nights in the week. So there's going to be a lot of shows, but I'm going to have the best time. I mean, it's just less than a year away, which is crazy. It's 50 weeks away. So there's plenty of time to get ready for it. God knows what my material will be. Material will be. I'll have loads of new stuff by then, I would hope. So that's good. Um, I've also been asked to do the uh, Scottish Association of Magicians Convention, which is in like a month and a bit. Um I have been asked to do a headline show at the Thlandidno, and Thlandidno is a um place in Wales. It's a town in North Wales. It's spelled L L A N D U D N O, and that's pronounced Thlandidno. The L L is like a th sound. So I've been asked to do that. I'm just waiting on contracts, but that should be good. I'm doing a couple of gigs on the Isle of Wight that just came through today. And um I'm making my West End debut. Now the West End debut is next Saturday. That's one of the things I was talking about before. So I'm gonna have to be really ready for that. And I feel like material-wise and everything else, I will be, physically, I'm gonna just have to work hard starting tomorrow. But it's next Saturday, the 11th of March. There's not a huge amount of point in going and looking for tickets if you're from London and you listen to this because it's nearly sold out. It's in the Leicester Square Theatre and there's about eight tickets left, so I think it's basically going to sell out, or if it's not already, by by now. Um, but it's in the heart of London's West End, in Leicester Square, where they do the big movie premieres and all that, the Leicester Square Odeon, it's right next to that. And it's called the Leicester Square Theatre. Huge names have played there in the past, Ricky Gervais and people like that have done shows there. Um, The Who used to play there Like loads of bands and stuff are played there The Rolling Stones are played there You know, it's been It was known as the Cavern of London You know, the Cavern where all the Liverpool bands played Like the Beatles and Freddie and the Dreamers Well... Leicester Square Theatre used to be known as the sort of cavern of the south and it was where all the hip new bands came through and played and then it's become known more as a comedy and variety venue more recently but um, this show West End Magic has been in there for 10 years now it's been regular there for 10 years and this is their 10 year anniversary and so they've gone all guns blazing and booked some brilliant acts and me which was kind of them so I'm there I've never done it before but I'll be there for the 10 year anniversary This is going to be great. I'm really excited. There's some brilliant acts on. A magician called Guy Hollingworth, of whom many people are fans, and me too. I actually met him at the session recently, and he does this trick called The Reformation. It's a torn and restored playing card. He did it on World's Greatest Magic, and it was spectacular. Everybody loved it, so do check him out. Guy Hollingworth, The Reformation. But There's loads of other brilliant acts on as well. Oliver Tabor, Wayne Trice, Card Ninja, Chris Frost... Me, is that everyone? Guy, Chris, Oliver, Wayne, Carninger, me. Yeah, six acts. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a really, really good show and I'm excited. And Sarah's coming with me. That's next weekend. Joshua is going over to Blackpool to see grandparents. And Sarah and I are going down to London next Friday, staying over in a hotel and then getting the tube into town to do the show. And then after the show, we're going to drop my stuff off at a... um, There's places, you know, where you can store stuff. Usually it's just like convenience stores, but they do bag storage and you can just book your case in there and then go back for it later at night. And um, they just basically look after it for you. So while you spend the day in London, it's a very common service in London and we will be using it. We did it last time as well. So um, that's very handy. I've been to the Blackpool Magic Convention. That was cool. Didn't actually go to the convention. I just went to the Ruskin on the Thursday night and the Sunday night to see friends Hung out with my friend Morton Christensen, which was really cool. Uh, hung out with Mario, the maker-magician, which was really cool. He and I have been friends for a few years online, but this is the first time I met him in real life. So that was super awesome. He's from New York, Bart. I'm sure you know him, Mario, the maker-magician. So um, that was amazing. I had a really good time. I saw loads of good friends there. Hung out with Peter Turner again, who I was at the session with and flew back from Magi Fest with. Just a bunch of great people, and it was nice to see them. Didn't attend any of the actual convention because I was doing shows, but went a couple of nights to see friends and that was really cool. Funny actually talking about being in London for the West End and seeing shows, it really made me laugh this week because um I was gonna book tickets for a show but they're so expensive. So we're just gonna go down there and um what's it called? Busk it and have a great time. Go to Camden Lock, go to the market, get pastel donatas at the market, go for a late night walk down Brick Lane and get um what's it called, salt beef um, bagel, go around the food market, go to the juggling shop, maybe find the magic shop and stuff. Like I've never taken Sarah to a magic shop in London, so maybe find an old magic shop. They're pretty cool. And uh, let us see what that's like. And then just see what Sarah wants to do, basically. Once I've done the show, I'm kind of up for anything. So wherever in London she wants to go, that's where I want to go. And if during those trips we happen to go near to the Juggling Shop, which is on the corner of Camden Market. I'd quite like to buy a yo-yo for some reason. I want to buy a yo-yo that I had with a, um, with a a when I was a kid, a YoMega yo-yo with a brain. It's called the Brain Yo-Yo, and it's got like a break inside that makes it stay at the bottom for ages. So you can do loads of tricks. I decided I wanted to get one of those and learn some stuff and try as an adult to learn all the tricks that I couldn't do as a kid. I was pretty good with a yo-yo as a kid. I did learn a load of tricks, but I'd like to learn more. So, um... Pick up a yo-yo from there. I'd love to go near maybe um, a magic shop and have a little look in and just show Sarah what a London magic shop is like because they're all very old. And um, aside from that, I'm basically up for anything. I'll do whatever. So we'll just have a great time, do the show, and then we're staying over, and then the next day we come back. It's going to be really good. So I'm looking forward to next weekend a lot. I look forward to it even more if I have a boss week of being good. And by next weekend... I'm able to wear clothes that make me feel comfortable so that would be nice um but i laughed when i went to book tickets because i was going to book tickets for phantom of the opera because i really like it and i heard the songs in the show that the cruise ship cast did at the the other week when i was on the ship they did um darkness each imagination what's it no, no, no! music of the night. Okay, so I love that. I was going to book tickets for Phantom of the Opera because it said from £44, but actually all the tickets were like £150. And the only ones that were £44 was in the back corner where it said it had restrictive view. And the idea of restrictive view at Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> when you already can't see half the guy's face, just made me laugh. Like, yeah, we know it's a restrictive view. What the fuck does he look like? (laughs) So, yeah, the idea that you've got a double restricted view. Can't see one half of his face for the mask. Can't see the other half of his face for the fire exit. It's no good, is it? Restrictive view at Phantom of the Opera. So, um, I didn't book tickets. We're just going to busk it. Speaking of, uh busking it it reminded me of when Sarah and I we've had a nostalgic lasagna in the last week when Sarah and I first lived in Preston we had absolutely no money we still haven't when we still live in Preston so not a lot's changed really but when we first lived in Preston we used to get these tray-baked lasagnas. There's there's a supermarket chain in the UK. There's two, one called Aldi and one called Lidl. And they're very similar. They have fantastically good quality food, but they're known for being very cheap. And so they used to be kind of mocked as being like, you know, uh, they, they just were looked down upon as a fairly poor place to shop. But actually, they're brilliant and the food is great. And we always shop there, Um And we used to get these tray baked lasagnas because they were two quid, two pounds for this giant lasagna that could easily feed both of you twice. So we used to get one. Oh, my God. There was probably a period of a couple of months where we had that lasagna three, if not four times a week in our old house. I'd love to go back there just for a day, just, you know, just to snap our fingers and go back to the two of us before Joshua was born, before we had the dog, before really we had any idea what was going to transpire over the following 10 years and just be sitting on our shitty, we had this terrible couch that you could hear crack every time you sat down on it. We still had the same TV as what we got now, (laughs) but we'd only just bought it, so it was class. I mean, it's good now. And we used to sit on that shitty couch. We did the Beyonce C9 cleanse once, where we tried to just drink lemonade for nine days, and it was horrendous. We cracked after five and ordered Domino's. Both of us were nearly in tears. And um, we did have a dog for a bit of that, but not all of it. But we had a dog called Faith, and she used to take herself to the toilet, open the front door and run to the field. Then you'd have to go and look for a poo later that day. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she used to tear the bin apart, tear the house apart every time we we're out. But we lived in this really small house, like a two-up, two-down house. Literally, the upstairs had the bathroom, our bedroom, and a tiny office. And when I say tiny, I mean cupboard size. And downstairs was a living room, dining room, open plan, but very small, with a tiny kitchen, and we had a little backyard. We used to have great parties in there and everything, and the stairs came directly down into the living room. It was very small. But as I remember it, we had a great time. I used to make Sarah dance with me in the kitchen and the living room all the time. Sarah used to paint the kitchen a different colour every three days because she was bored. And we used to eat tray-baked lasagna like it was going out of fashion. It was a very, very simple time. You know what? It was kind of in the period before I was getting a lot of stage magic shows. But after I'd really given up on doing close-up magic because I knew I had to quit one to make the other work and... We just had no money because I wasn't earning anything. We lived, there was probably six months where we lived entirely off Sarah's wage. I don't think for six months I brought a penny into the house and we lived entirely off Sarah's wage for for all of that time. And, uh, you know, she was working in a retail job and not making ball of cash or anything. But we survived. It was all right. And how did we survive? Because three or four times a week, we ate two pounds tray baked lasagnas, but they were delicious. But the other day, Sarah was in one of those supermarkets and she saw one and she bought it and brought it home and cooked it. And you know what? It tasted exactly like it used to. Literally, the second I took a mouthful, it was like I was back 12 years ago and we were in that house and it was just, it was nostalgic lasagna. (laughs) There's no other way to describe it. Nostalgic lasagna. Um, She used to make another thing as well called cupboard surprise, which was a real mix of things. But it, it got us through plenty of nights as well. I've never been much of a cook. The other day I tried to make toast and I was trying to butter the toast, but the house was so cold that the toast would not be spread. I couldn't even get the toast. I couldn't even get the butter off the block and onto the knife. So... Our butter lives inside of a dish, a porcelain dish. But Sarah, quite often, and I'm not blaming her for what I'm about to tell you, but Sarah will basically open a packet of butter and put it into the dish, but leave it in its original paper metal packaging. Whereas if I open one and put it in there, I put it in their sans paper packaging. I take it off and just put the bare butter in there. Now, when I say I do that... I've probably only put butter in there once, if not twice in my whole life. But on the occasions that I did, I took the paper off, but Sarah didn't. Now, I should have known that the outside of that paper was metallic. But I found out when I tried to just gently soften the butter for a second in the microwave. (laughs) I put the porcelain dish in the microwave. I turned it on and I heard this bang and I looked and there was a fire Going round inside of the microwave, spinning round very slowly inside the microwave, and I thought, oh shit! So I opened the microwave door very quickly, and I waited a second, and then I took the dish out, and uh, thankfully everything was okay. But yeah, it did the the sort of outer metallicness of the wrapper for the butter set on fire, which is not ideal. Never mind. So uh, I've never been a great cook, although I'm better at making prawn sandwiches than the place round the corner from us. There's a place. Round the corner from us, a sandwich place. Let me tell you, their turkey brie and cranberry sandwich baguette is something to behold. It's one of the best sandwiches I've ever had. You get huge, big slabs of soft, uh, cooked white, nice turkey. Mmm. They put absolutely loads of melted brie and cranberry in. It's incredible. The other day I went there and I got one of those and I thought, I'll get a prawn mayo for later. I haven't told Sarah this yet, so she'll be hearing this story for the first time on the podcast. So I said to the girl, can I have the turkey brain cranberry baguette? And she went, yeah. And I said, oh, and can I have prawn mayo on a baguette as well, please? What do you think I want if I ask for prawn mayo? That's how you ask for it, isn't it? Prawn mayo, please. She went, just that. And I said well, yeah, what are the, what are the options? (laughs) Like, do you mean salad? And she went, you just want prawn mayo. And I went, yeah, prawn mayo. She said, just the sauce. And I said, what do you mean, just the sauce? (laughs) And she went, you want prawn flavoured mayonnaise? And I said, no, I want prawns and mayonnaise in a baguette. Prawn mayo. And she went, oh, you want the prawns too? And I'm like, I said, "Who would order that and only want?" And she went, "Well, we have prawn mayonnaise now." do you mean Mary Rose sauce? And she said, "Yeah." And I was like, "Who would ask for a sandwich that only had mayonnaise in it? Who would call it prawn mayonnaise instead of Mary Rose? And who the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> who the fuck would mean anything other than prawns and mayonnaise in a sandwich when they say prawn mayo?" You work in a sandwich shop. You sell prawn mayo sandwiches. It's listed as a prawn mayo sandwich on your board behind your head. How could I mean anything but prawns and mayonnaise in a sandwich? Honestly, it blew my mind. I didn't know what was going on. Everyone in that shop, I swear, is as thick as the wall. But they do make great sandwiches. Except the prawn mayonnaise sandwich was not good. Because the prawns and the mayo were not mixed. They put prawns on the bottom half of the baguette. They heavily uh, spread mayonnaise on the top half of the baguette. And then they sandwiched the two together. That is not prawn mayo. They have to be mixed together in a bowl. Otherwise, the prawns have fallen out all over the place and it just doesn't work properly. You need to put prawns in a proper Mary Rose sauce, stir it up, and then spread that mixture on your bread. I just found it baffling. I've never, ever heard that before. Prawn mayo, just that, and she thought I meant the sauce. Really, really stunning. I just couldn't work it out. So that was that. I went to Camelot as I was driving home from a thing. Camelot's the medieval theme park I used to work at. Had a little quick drive around that, but not for very long. There's basically a truck driver training school operates on a lot of the grounds there now. Most of it's been knocked down, but all of the big car parks that used to, you know, house the cars of the thousands of people who visited Camelot every day, because it was a big theme park, a medieval themed theme park, um... Now all those car parks are used to teach truck drivers how to manoeuvre trucks. So I had a little look around the back of there, but I felt like I was trespassing, so I left. And uh, the last two things, the first, I'll get this one out of the way quickly. I have always been a huge fan of David Kaplan. Back in 2008, when I attended the Blackpool Magic Convention. Actually, you know what? I'm going to stop the recording here, and I'm going to turn these last two things into the new it's all part of this podcast but i'm at 55 minutes and it only lets you record a single hour at a time so in order to be able to say everything i want to say properly i'm gonna have to start a new recording and add it onto this one so i might as well do that now i don't need to tell you any of this you know i could have just done it you'd have got the podcast and you wouldn't have known any different but it's just who i am isn't it can't change it now right here i go okay i'm back I can't remember where I was up to in the last sentence because I just waited for the first bit to process and it took five minutes, but that's okay. So I've always been a big fan of David Kaplan. I know that was what I was telling you. David Kaplan is one of the greatest acts ever in the history of just magic. He's brilliant. He's called the Great Kaplan as well as his act. It's kind of um, purposefully funny hyperbole because the sign that says the Great Kaplan changes to the... Just OK, Kaplan, and loads of different stuff through the through the show. He's really, really funny anyway. And it's one of those acts that works both silently and he does talking bits. I was sitting in the audience of the Blackpool Magic Convention 2008. Nobody knew who I was, including me. I didn't know who I was either. I was a um, close-up magician doing restaurants, had aspirations that I wanted to be a stage magician, but it felt quite sort of um, unreachable. I'd certainly come from this 2008. So in 2004, 2005, I was a resident entertainer on a team at a Haven holiday park. And I saw magicians coming and going all the time. And I wanted to do stage shows. And then 2006, 2007, I was working at a private holiday park called Ribby Hall and doing shows there. And I was on stage every night and I was trying bits of magic, but I was far from a brilliant touring actor or anything. I was just getting my feet very wet. I was beyond toe in the water, but certainly not up to my knees in it yet. And then I got offered a job at JV Magic and I ended up sort of doing a bit of that. And then 2008, I saw... David Kaplan's act and the aesthetics of that show, and kind of just the funny way that he was with the audience. I don't know how much it influenced me. I know now that it influenced me a lot, but in the interim, it didn't. I suppose in the beginning, we see something that we think, God, to be like that. And then we go through all sorts of other things to find out what we are. And I suppose that the David Kaplan if if it was like a color chart or you know a flavor profile on the back of a bottle that was that was my flavor which is a disgusting thought <laughs> sorry for putting that image in your heads but that that my flavor um i think david kaplan would be at least 15 to 20% of it along with Charlie Fry, the same 15 to 20% would be them. And you know, loads of other people too, and then some of your own ideas, but definitely it influenced me. I just remember seeing it and thinking, God, what a brilliant, brilliant act. And you know, I was so green back then, so wet behind the ears, that I didn't know what was brilliant about it. I think I do now, but I didn't know what was brilliant about it at the end, then I just knew that I really enjoyed it. And then 2009 is when I put out DVDs for magicians because I'd been working in a magic shop. I'd been doing three restaurants a week, doing close-up magic, three hours a week each. So for 18 months, I got at least nine hours of experience doing tables per week in restaurants. So I was very, very quickly approaching, you know, a thousand hours of table work, going round and working on sort of, to my twists on fairly classic close-up magic plots and working really hard at that. And that got me a bit of attention to the point where I was able to put DVDs out and uh, and those DVDs got me more attention. And then very quickly, once you get known by magicians, you start getting asked, well, could we book you for our Magic Club's President's Dinner or this convention? And so I would say yes. And the truth is, I wasn't really ready. But my approach has always been just say yes and work it out later. And if you don't completely fall on your face, you might get another crack at it and you'll learn something on the way. That's how I approach everything. So I would do Magic Club dinners, but I was still quite raw in the stand up stakes. I had a ton of close up experience, but they wanted stand up magicians. Now, I don't know that anybody in Magic looks at me as a close-up magician. There'll be loads of people who know my work who don't know that I ever did close-up. And there'll be people who still think that's what I am, but not many. And there'll be some people who know that I've done both previously. But most people now, if they know me, would know that I don't do close-up magic anymore. But it's certainly where I came from and how I gained some notoriety in magic. How I got in the room with my heroes. That's how that started to happen. And so, I've always idolized and loved the work of David Kaplan over the years. Whenever a video of him would appear on YouTube, which is rare, I would watch it 10 times in a row and just think, God, isn't this brilliant? Like this guy's act is just spectacular. And I really, he hates this by the way. (laughs) If you try to talk like this to him or about him with him in the room, he would hate it. He's very humble guy, really down to earth, nice guy. And I've had the pleasure of talking to him a few times over the years. I did a podcast with him where I interviewed him about his show. And then I saw him a month ago at Magi Fest. He was there because he lives in Ohio. So I saw him at Magi Fest and we hung out for a bit and talked. And then I've got this new prop. I've got this table for doing cups and balls on. And it's got a banner on it that says the world's greatest sleight-of-hand trick, probably. Um... And I want the banner to kind of be rolled up, hidden, and then to fall down into view. So the audience suddenly become aware of it. And it's part of a gag. And I thought, I bet Kaplan would know how to do that. So I took a chance and I thought, I'll send him a message. And if he doesn't reply, I won't hold it against him. It's not like we're best buddies or anything. But I sent him the message and he read it. And then five minutes went by. And I thought, oh, he's maybe he doesn't want to talk to me, or maybe he doesn't know, he's not got the inclination to help. I know he would know how to help, but maybe he's not got the inclination to help. And then I got a picture message from him, and he'd done a full diagram of how he would make the thing to solve the problem that I had. So then I messaged him back saying, I think I get it. What's this bit here? And then he video called me. <laughs> and then I spoke to the great Kaplan, my hero that I first saw 15 years ago on stage and now I guess I'm thrilled to say my friend for 45 minutes on the phone and he talked me through all of the different ways he would do it and we had a nice chat about our acts and the business and showbiz and he showed me some stuff he was working on and I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe that the guy I sat and watched when I was nobody and I'm still only just saying a nobody but when I was absolutely nobody to pay attention to and had none of my own ideas but I watched him and thought God to be that good one day and I just want to be very clear I am not in any way shape or form as good as he was then or as good as he is now but we can dare to dream but um to be that good you know to think that and then 15 years later he video called me for a chat about my idea and i just thought i was over the moon i was really really pleased i thought what a lovely guy and in the last month you know i've hung out with mario the magician who i respect a lot i've spent a lot of time with morton christiansen the fism uh, first prize comedy magic winner and we've become friends Um, one of the things I was going to tell you before about Benidorm, Sarah and I, Joshua is going to my, uh, my mum's house for the holiday week. But during that same holiday week, Sarah and I are going to spend five, well, technically four days in Spain in Benidorm but we're staying in just a crappy little self-catering apartment that's cheap because obviously we don't need a nice posh hotel with a pool or anything if it's just the two of us so that I can go and have what Sarah keeps describing as a play date with a magician that I met at Magi Fest called Reuben, Ruben Villagrand and he is a fantastically good magician and inventor of magic tricks and I think that um, he and I will be in a good place to help each other with material you know he's got some stuff he's working on that i think i'll be able to help with and vice versa so we're going to go and hang out during the day and go to his studio and workshop and uh, talk about stuff and then on the night i'm gonna come back for sarah and then we're going to go out for dinner with him and his wife for uh, drinks and dinner which will be really really nice and i'm looking forward to hanging out with them too it's going to be fantastic so we're going over there to spain to do that isn't that nice but these people, who are just to me, still. I whenever I watch a brilliant magic act, it's still somewhere between 2003 and 2008 when I first saw sort of when I first saw magicians visit my holiday park to when I first saw the world's best magicians when I first went to a magic convention. Every time I see a brilliant magic act, I'm that kid again. I'm 20 years old. I'm watching. Someone brilliant, blowing my mind with amazing, hilarious, inventive magic. And I just think, God, I would kill to be that good. And I would love to be that person's friend. And I still don't think I'm that good. But I am a lot of those people's friends. (laughs) So I suppose whatever that says, it says something that those people are happy to um, indulge my friendship. They're happy to let me be their friend. So it's just great. I just love making friends with these people now and being able to talk to them and, you know, benefit from their experience. And when you make someone like that laugh or when you say something to them and they go, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. Do you mind if I use that and they use it? I mean, Christ, Lance Burton asked me the other week if he could use one of my presentations for one of his things. And it just, I just couldn't believe it. Lance Burton, fuck me. So it's just, I just am really enjoying being a magician at the minute. And it's made me want to push harder and do more and just be better. And like getting this new table ready for doing the cups and balls. And I've got this like multilingual crazy idea for cups and balls that I never saw anybody do before. And I think when it's done, it's gonna be brilliant, but it's gonna take a lot of work. It'll be a couple of months of even working it before it gets to be good. But the idea is that I do the trick because the cups and balls is a trick with three cups and three balls. So I don't want to ruin any magic for anyone. But within the trick, there is a point where you are doing a sort of puzzle-ish, sleight-of-hand game almost. And then at the end of the trick, the small balls you've been using, you lift up the cup and you have a giant load. Usually it's like oranges or baseballs or whatever. I'm gonna perform the trick so that rather than at the end of the trick, all of the magical things happen that allow you to reveal all of the giant loads in the cups, I'm gonna stagger them throughout the routine as I eliminate cups. So it will be a three cup trick at the beginning and I'll talk about how they did it that way In France, on the streets, buskers would perform it. And I'll say some of the lines and do parts of the trick in both English and French, simultaneously combining them with a musical change. And then at the end of that, one of the cups will be eliminated. And I'll say, but then they did it in Spain, throughout Europe, it travelled to Spain. And they only did it with two cups. And then, you know, uh, I asked someone... (laughs) I said to a guy in France, why don't you do it with two cups? And he said, duh. (laughs) Because duh is French for two. Anyway, so I'll do it with two cups. And um, then at the end of that phase, one of them gets eliminated. And then I do the final bit. And I'll say, but in America, they keep things simple. And they just use one cup. But the sleight of hand has got to be very good. So I do the bit with one cup. And then at the end, I lift the cup. And the small baseballs I use have now become a giant baseball and then I say but remember this trick started in France and when I lift that cup is an onion and then we went to Spain and when I lift the second cup it's now an orange and then I relift the first cup and underneath there is a cricket ball because we're of course but I'm English and here you know we play cricket boom and there's a cricket ball so the end of my trick will be four different all different loads and I'll have performed the trick in three different languages is the idea. And it's very complicated and loads and loads of different things are happening throughout it. And there are bits of the trick that don't even use the cups. It's like stuff with the wand and just different sleight of hand. And so, it's a lot of work, but I'm really excited about it and I'm working super, super hard on it and it's going to be great. So, I'm planning that that'll be ready to go in the show by Easter, which is April. That's when we got a Benidorm. So I'm going to work on it as much as I can. I'm going to take it to Benidorm and I'm going to do it for Ruben and show him and see if he can add some stuff to it as well. And then when I come back from Benidorm, it'll be in the show's. That first week after Easter. Because as soon as the Easter holidays are finished, everywhere goes quiet again. But I still have four shows a week. So in the slightly quieter rooms, I will work that routine. And I'll get to do it for six weeks before the next holidays when it gets busy. So I'll get like 35, 40 performances in. Where, um, maybe maybe a bit less than that, I don't know. Where there won't be as much pressure because the rooms won't be as busy. And hopefully it'll be fantastic. So... I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that routine's going to kill. I've been thinking about it for a long time. I've got loads of other stuff as well, but I've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, And then last but not least, and God, this has been a long one, but this is what happens when you take forever to record and it's two weeks worth of podcasting. Um, I did a presentation for a big holiday company in the UK to help them improve their presenting. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but they decided to pay to have supposedly top industry professionals and me, go in and um, teach their teams how to present. And I put together a huge presentation for them about how to improve the presenting and what I think constitutes good presenting and how how that should look. So I'll talk about it next week, actually. I'll put it as the first thing in the notes in case I'm stuck for content. And I'll talk you through my presentation of what I think constitutes good presenting in that environment i'll save that for next week because otherwise this will run forever but uh, if i'm short on content next week it'll give me something to talk about and then i'll then i'll know so we're back the routine is back let's get back to doing this every week let's try and be healthy for tomorrow should i say loads of bullshit i've said before should i just say goodbye and see if i see you next week i'll see you next week friends much love if you're listening drop me a message Honestly, the difference between me doing this and not doing this is when you send me a message on Instagram, Magician Mark James on Instagram, send me a message and say you listened, tell me what your favourite part about it was, tell me what you're up to, argue with me about something, agree with me about something, just get in touch. Sometimes when I put up an episode and literally nobody sends me a message that week, I just think, ugh, did anybody listen? does anyone care and you know hundreds of people are listening so drop me a message let me know you listened it really really makes a difference to whether or not i decide to do another one so you know keep in touch yeah makes me feel good give me give me a little something let me know what you're up to right bye friends that's the end of the pod love you all stay well see you next week bye friends